Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. We're really excited to share this episode with you today. We spoke with Greg McEwen, who is the New York Times bestselling author of the books Multipliers, Essentialism, and Effortless, which was just released earlier this year. We read Essentialism and Effortless, and we knew that we wanted to have Greg on the podcast. Everything he writes in these books seems so immediately applicable, not just in our lives and careers, but even with our church membership. Greg is also a Latter-day Saint, and he was able to talk with us about concepts in his books that apply to issues that are often on church members' minds, things like callings, raising families, and managing work-life balance. Greg's writing has appeared or been covered by the New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, HuffPost, Politico, Inc. Magazine, and the Harvard Business Review. He's also appeared on many television and radio programs, including NPR, NBC, and Fox. Greg is originally from London, England, and he now lives in Calabasas, California with his wife, Anna, and their four children. He did his graduate work at Stanford University. And with that, we'll go ahead and jump right into the episode. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Okay, Greg McEwen, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast today. It's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. I I, I thought I'd start maybe with a little anecdote. Um, I I was recently talking to a friend who is just a little bit older, about my about my parents' age, and I was applying some of the things that I had learned uh, reading uh, reading the book Essentialism and trying to softly sort of say uh, say no to something. And what's funny is this is the same friend that recommended the book to me in the first place. And he could tell he could tell what I was doing, and and he said he said you're too young to have figured this out. Like this is gonna, this is going to change your life. And I, the, the funny thing is too, Aubrey and I have been we've been speaking about uh, the book Essentialism and and the book Effortless uh, quite a bit in the past few weeks. And mm. what what's amazing is I think with both of these books, you really have narrowed down on something that is far beyond what you might expect reading a typical business book or, you know, leadership book or whatever. And it's, there's something key about like reclaiming your humanity, even with these, Mm. with these, with these books. And so I just can't, I really can't thank you enough for for writing these, for being here. And we're, we're super excited to, um, to discuss them. Yeah. And I could just riff on that for one second, which is that I, I didn't feel like I was trying to answer business questions in these books. I felt like I was trying to answer human questions, yeah. mm-hmm. which also have relevance in business. And I have I've observed lots of them in business, but I think they are human questions. And uh, I like how you framed it. Um, especially recently, I felt a sort of, uh, let's call it a sort of renaissance type sensation in my life um, that's grown out of a spiritual journey. And uh, and so I feel hungrier than ever in my life uh, to, to, to read deeply, um, you know, out of the best books, let's say, uh, yes. mm-hmm. of, from humanity to, to understand more of it. Um, I, I read that President Hinckley um, said in a talk at BYU called The Four Imperatives of Education, I was just recently rereading it because I was quoting him and I thought, well, am I quoting him correctly? And, and I went back and read it. And he, he says uh, that he feels appalled at how little he knows. Uh, mm. And he's, you know, he's 
uh, I think in the first presidency by this point, and he's, you know, of course, read uh, a lot and traveled a lot and learned a lot. I mean, he's one of the one of the most educated people at this point. Uh, but what he feels is appalled at what he doesn't know, and and, and I feel that so vividly now. Uh, and so I, I feel an extension of what you're observing uh, to learn and to learn about humanity and to learn more about who we are. Um, and you have to read, you have mm-hmm. to read more deeply to even be able to begin that journey. So yeah. you find me in the middle of that right now. That's awesome. One of the, uh, one of the th- things that we've been exploring on this podcast recently is, is that sort of same idea. Like obviously uh, not all truth can be found in any one place, any one religion. And, uh, and in ju- just um, on a recent episode, we, d- we explored with a, with a writer named uh, Michael Wilcox, several of the def- uh, several ideas from s- some of these amazing faith traditions out of the Quran, out of the Bhagavad Gita, those sort of things. And it was amazing to see how a lot of the best ideas from those traditions echoed very strongly with, with our own. And what's amazing is your book isn't a religious book, but it does feel like it really tapped into something that is that goes beyond just, you know, tips and tricks. It really felt like, like it, there is a, there is a wisdom here that's sort of being resurfaced and, and re-languaged into our, our modern day. Mm, well, thank you. It's high praise. And, and, and I, I could keep riffing on this, uh, yeah. you know, for, for, for a long time, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, yeah. but I don't, I don't want to de- derail us yeah. either. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, I mean, this, we're kind of touching on the thesis of the book, which is that when you say yes to something, you are by definition saying no to something else. And, and this felt like the most, if I had to sum up both, well, if I had to sum up essentialism, that was like really the message that, that I think I took, like you, you, you feel like you're choosing your priorities, but if you're always yes, then someone else has ordered your life for you. And that makes it, and and that means that you have to say no to things that might actually be more important to you, but you've run out of bandwidth. So I, I wanted you to talk about this though, especially in a, in a Latter-day Saint context, because I think we have a lot of demands that come straight from the church. And those are things that can be really fulfilling, but I think it might be hard for some people to draw a line and and figure out what actually feels essential to them, even in this one single column of church service. So we're, we're, we have these long lists of things that we need to add to our, or that we, we'd like to add to our life, like studying, come follow me and doing family home evening and showing up for activities and, you know, serving in our calling. And, and so I felt like the immediately the first big question is how do you decide what is essential and and more specifically how do you decide what's essential in in this very important um area of your life which is your your church service Mm. yeah i i feel like there were two different things you shared there i just want to just address each of them i think The, the first was about the thesis of essentialism and um and you said, you know, if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, right? That was sort of the the, the gist of it. And and you're 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 right, um, uh, but I think it understates the point because mm-hmm. because what it the what the thesis really is, and it's become clearer to me recently in my life that that it's not that when you say yes to something, you say no to something, and that is progress. If you can psychologically get there, then you're further ahead than what we often do, which is just look at something. Well, is this good? Is this right. a good thing? And if it's a good thing, well, then we'll then we need to do it. Um, so it's just good equals yes. <laughs> if, if, as soon as you say, well, a yes equals a no, then then now you're now you're being more 
sensible about it. You're being more thoughtful about it because you say, well, okay, it's not whether it's good, it's whether it's better than this other thing I would be doing instead. But then really where it starts to become, I think, almost shocking is where you say no. Every time you say yes, you are saying no, not to 10 things or 100 things, but everything. That's the, that's the point. Every yes is no to everything else that you could possibly be doing right now. And suddenly now you're in the territory of divine trade-offs. The, the, the entire, uh, you know, the, the, the full expansion of scripture, ancient and modern, is a, as at least one way to read it, is that the endless story of trade-offs. Uh, that that's i mean another the word we would normally use of course is agency but it just gives a different frame to this that every yes is a no to every other option in that moment uh that you and and suddenly the scriptures are full it's not like you have to look for a, a page here or there like the the totality of scripture is this is people trying to make the right trade-offs trying to choose a, a divine trade-off that god wants them to make over some other thing that may not make sense, that may be culturally unacceptable, that may be, you know, make you unpopular, that may, all of this. So that's more of the thesis. It's like, are you choosing, and, and of course we have language with this from President Oaks in his Good, Better, Best talk uh, that, that put it into our, at least into our permission, you know, permission to think like this, uh, gave us language that we could use across, you know, across the church. Um, is this the best possible thing we could be doing in this moment? Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Uh, you know, extrapolating further from that, like so, so Jesus Christ, of course, is so many things, but and far beyond what I'm about to say, but he's also an ultimate essentialist. And one of the things that meant is that or means is that he wasn't doing everything that was good. He there were so many things, and in fact, if you if you sort of read scripture in, in his his life again, there's the gospels again. I, one of the things that's breathtaking to me is what he didn't do, um, and all the places he didn't go, the patience with which he 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 lived that life. He felt the pressure. He was fully aware of what the what the, the 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 Jewish people at the time were expecting, or many of the Jewish people were expecting of him to be, he was aware of his own disciples going, "Well, hold on, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you saving my brother who just died? Why aren't you?" You know, all of those pressures are immense, greater on him than on anyone, and yet he shows this patience to do what? Not everything perfectly now. Not everything. Well, we shouldn't say perfectly. It is perfectly with him, but <laughs> not everything popular now. But instead, what his father wants, when his father wants it, how his father wants it, that's the, that's the criterion for his decision-making. And, and so from there, as we take him as our, the ultimate ideal of like what a person should be, we've got to make the same criterion ours. It's the Lord's will and the Lord's way at the Lord's timing. That is our singular obligation. All the other obligations are significantly secondary. And of course, that can be a challenge, but that's the orientation. And so, and so your question about, well, how do you how do you navigate family evening and come follow me and all of these other things? I, I think I think uh, President Benson said it this way: that if we get 
if we put God first in our lives, if we make him the priority, then it starts to put everything else, the, the less important things either drop out of our lives or take their proper place. And so although it might seem a subtle distinction, I think it's a really important distinction that we that we put God first and that the church and family really important, but they're secondary. And 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 with that, I'm not suggesting, oh, well, that the, the presumption is well, people shouldn't do family who even got come follow me. It, it, almost certainly the opposite, in fact, will happen, but it will happen for different reasons. And that really, really matters. So if I'm doing come follow me because, well, you know, the bishop asked me to do it. And I could be very resentful about that eventually because, you know, it's costing me something and it's irritating in some way. And family home even didn't go well again. And, you know, look at the church, look at what it's doing. And, and you could, you could start to have, I think some friction there. The, 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 but as soon as I am really aligned with the Lord, if I am confident that the Lord today wants me to do this thing, the orientation will change. As part of this Renaissance experience I'm having, that I came across an amazing example of this with Michelangelo when he was painting the Sistine Chapel, you know, um, one of the great masterpieces of all time. What's not often known is that when he was first asked to do that, he did not want to do it at all, which is a, actually an understatement. I mean, like, he refused to do it. He was f- so frustrated that Julius was asking him to do it. And, and he said, look, I'm a sculptor. I'm not a painter. I don't even know how to do this work. And he just had no interest in it. Eventually, he was locked in there at times. You have to do this. And then eventually he ran off. You know, he's like, he's like a disobedient child in, 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 in primary or something, right? He like literally <laughs> runs away. And, or a Jonah story. It's a Jonah story. He runs away, will not do this thing. And then, and then what happens for, for Michelangelo is that he, he has a revelatory experience that changes him. And so he comes back and now he can hear the music, so to speak. He has, has a vision of what he's doing, of why he's doing it. He comes back voluntarily. He, he pours himself into this for four years. He completes the project, including his the, the most iconic part of that chapel ceiling is the is the is God's finger touching Adams. Yep. And that was done in this post world. And it the way he even painted deity and painted Adam was different than the work he'd done previously. The vision had changed it. So I think that's so important. If we're trying to go through if we're sort of just doing the church thing, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we can miss all of the, the alignment, the vision, the, the life spring that God can give us to give us the energy to th- do things and why we're yes. doing them and the richness of the experience that, that we won't get any of or hardly any of, relatively speaking, will be like Michelangelo 1.0 instead of the 2.0 version. So Thank you for your patience and me sort of extrapolating that. Oh, that's so I think, helpful. I think that's that's how I would see your question. 
And that. this reminds me a lot of when you talk about priorities that we use, we use this word priorities to mean all the things that we're going to do today. And, and you talk about how this word originally really just meant one thing, like what is your, your one thing that you're going to focus on? And that has totally changed. I'm such a list person and I really like my long list to cross off, but I have, I've like totally converted to this idea. Like there is one thing that I'm going to get done today, but it creates so much momentum that like, mm-hmm. I get more, I get more done than when I had a long to-do list. But there's something about like that focus that just like really, really creates like a, a positive energy. And I, I get more done in, anyway, because I'm, because I'm so focused. So, so, you know, it's just what, what it just extends that when we say it as a life question, what is the priority? What is the priority right. for our lives? And the clearer we get on that. And of course that can be upgraded and changed as we change, as we learn, but the clearer we can get on that, it, 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 it what, everything you just said about the daily basis suddenly can be true for the whole life, where we we actually live an essential life. And and you look at someone like a maybe you know President Nelson, and and I I'm not trying to deify him in any way to to speak so positively about him, but but he you know I think he is what an essentialist looks like. I mean I think that the way that he's lived his life. That you can sort of look at the results of it. Somebody recently said, "Well, it's almost like he's lived ten lifetimes in one," and and there's I think there's truth to that because there's sort of no fat in it. Does he just removed all of these other things? And one of the ways he does that is by how present he is, which is I think observable to anybody, right? Like to all of us, whenever we observe him talking to somebody, there's a sort of weightlessness to it because in that moment he is fully there. And then the next moment he is fully there. And, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a daily phenomenon phenomenon. That's how we live essentialism, but it, it can add up to a, to a really, to live an essential life. I mean, how, what, 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 mm-hmm. what is there could be better? Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I, we, we definitely want to get into effortless as well, but I do have another question that's, that's come up as you've, as you've spoken about this, which is, the the um the concept of calling specifically so it's one thing when we're talking about come follow me or ministering or whatever it is where there's no you know real explicit buy-in and and i think along with that it's like there's a there's an acknowledgement that you at the end of the day it is your choice to sort of get into these things with them or or you know at any given moment to to make them your priority uh with a calling it's a little bit different where you are sitting across from someone and they say you know we've decided to extend this calling to you, or I've been inspired to extend this calling to you. And sometimes I've had the experience at least where I'm not feeling the inspiration on that, that they, that they may have been feeling, you know, and it doesn't feel like on my own that I would have come up with that thing as one of my essential few things that are going to, that are going to make it onto my, my list of um, what I'm actually going to spend my life doing right now. Um, I've also, I've had the experience where I get, I've had a couple of different experiences where initially maybe I didn't feel that way, but then it ended up being real fulfilling. I've had other, another, the other side of the experience too, where I felt like I'm going to say yes, just because I feel like I have to say yes. And then it like did sort of lead to a period of resentment as I kind of dragged it out and uh, never really truly, you know, bought in. And so I'm curious how you, how you think about this, uh, uh, this concept, the concept of essentialism as it applies to church callings and like, is there, a, is there a way to reconcile these, these ideas that, you know, potentially this is, this is inspiration and therefore you should say yes, because there's a plan bigger than you understand. And 
but on the other side, you're entitled to inspiration, you know, and maybe you feel like the answer is no. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, L. Oaks talked about this where he said there's, there's two, there's two paths of revelation, right. And they, they create a sort of balance, uh, a, a dynamic equilibrium. One is, uh, is through, you know, a, a priesthood authority where you're being, ex- a calling is being extended to you. And then the second is revelation to you, uh, where you are, you have the right to receive revelation. It, they're both necessary. So if you if you only do the first, um, then, then then there is a problem because you're not using your own agency fully. Uh, you, you're not, in a sense, you can't be all in. Uh, and but to go to the second is also if you only do the second, then you can quite quickly become a law unto yourself, and and there isn't something helping to to give you foundation and, and 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 structure to your thinking so it's that it's definitely both both that I think is important um I mean for me one of the one of the phrases that that impacted me was was from um uh, elder Packer at the time and he, he said I said early in my life I got on my knees and I said to God you you don't have to take anything from me because it's already all yours uh, and so after that, it was like, in a sense, he made everything easier after that. It, it, it doesn't mean his life was easy, but everything was easier than it would have been because the decision's already made. It's a one-time decision, and he's all in. And so I come at callings from that perspective. I would say that 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 like I'm already in. So like you can't you can't take anything away from me because I'm all in. And so the, the the one and I think really important caveat to that is is that we believe in counsel in, in the church. That is the system, not just the policy system of today, but the counsel from you know we believe quite uniquely in counsels in heaven and 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 that that's modeled here. And we need to have counsels in family and counsels in in you know in the ward and counsels. I mean, it's a it's a counsel system. And so is the is the calling process. Uh, so some, you know, I as I say, my default is already the way it is uh, for the reasons I've said, not because uh, not, not not because um, of any other reason. Those reasons matter. Uh, it's, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of social pressure. Mm. Doing it for social pressure, not doing it because well, what will someone think of me if I don't do this? It, the decisions are different. Big strategic trade-off you know you bet your life so to speak uh give it all to him and say okay i just trust that you will do so much more with this than you than i'll do alone uh and 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 then i think you always have the right to share information is it that's that's what the council process means i have an obligation to let me just share what's going on in my life let me just ex- explain some of the responsibilities that I have, some of the pressures that I have. These things, these things are well. Elder Packer said it. You have to have inspiration and information, mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're both part of the process. And so I, I think that's that's the orientation. I think that has worked at least best for me uh, is to I'm all in. So to presume a yes, um, and let's talk, let's make sure that this council, and, and when I was serving as bishop, there were times when people would share information. It was my job to try to make sure that there was enough safety for people to be able to share things mm. so that 
you would learn things. And, and sometimes that wasn't what happened. And you find out later information that would have been so helpful to have, and you might've made a different decision if you'd had different information. And, and so it's, it's really the responsibility to try and make sure on both par- parties that there's inspiration and information flow. Yeah. Well, love that this was a really, this is a chapter that I have gone back to over and over where you, where you, um, you list specific ways to, so, so let's move away from church callings, but let's say you're yeah. in, you're in any sort of uh, situation where you realize this is the thing you're being um, asked to do is not one of your essential things. And you want to say no. I loved this chapter where you, you, you give some really concrete ways to say no, because we have this idea that saying no is rude that, you know, you can be selfless and say yes and, and please someone. And you get a little bit of a high when you say yes, because it's like this instant connection and they're happy and you are happy that they're happy. And, and then the resentment sinks in and it might be something that lasts for, you know, years, like depending on the, the extent of the commitment. And so I, I love this chapter about graceful ways to say no. So, so I'd love for you to talk about that, but before you even get into how you could say no, would you talk about just what, what is, what's your method for the pause? You know, when someone asks, maybe you don't have to pause anymore, but if you know that you're a like a, you're just a yes person that like when someone makes a request, your go-to answer is yes. And then you regret it. Like what can be your, your, your pause and, and what should your thoughts look like for a second before you make any commitments? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know of somebody personally who, um, who many, many years ago when they were first convert to the church would go to church and would be grabbed by maybe five different people you know, somewhere in the corridor. Oh, will you help us with this? Can you do this? Can you do the other? Yes, yes, yes to all of it. Um, and then you, you, you know, she'd get home and she had lots of young children at the time and she'd just be completely overwhelmed. And so church became an overwhelming experience every week because she was a, you know, go get it person, make it, make things happen. Uh, and so we'd just be given more and more from everybody and finally learned the, the sentence, uh, let me just check my calendar and get back to you. And that was her pause. And that that served her very, very well because then, I mean, it's just from an organization point of view, it's good. You actually do check your calendar. You say, can I actually do that? Does Is that reasonable? What am I giving up to do it? Is this the actual right use of my time? I have many, I have many callings. Um, and, uh, and so I think that that's one way to do a pause, uh, mm. that's, that's, that's helpful. Put some space between you're, you're out from under their spell. <laughs> like there's something that happens when you're standing in front of somebody and you just, you want to do what they want, you know? So I, I think that that's been really helpful for me too. Like just step away from the situation, whatever they ask, I'm going to say, I'm not sure yet, <laughs> or I'm going to check my calendar or I don't know yet, you know, and, and something about just like a breath when I'm not face to face is enough to like really rethink, is this something that I want to work into? Well, and, 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 and this is why, again, the priority, the strategic priority matters so much because it may be that that good thing you're being asked to do uh, is um, that you are being asked without anyone knowing to give up time from your children who need your attention. And that's not a good trade-off. And and that that the Lord does not want that trade off right now. That 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 is a perfectly reasonable thing to come to. Now you just have to make sure we all have to make sure that we're doing that. That that is the Lord's will, not just our, you know, not just our short term perspective speaking. Uh, but the pause, I think, is is always you know, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Think of think of Jesus. 
when those you know the angry mob is is there you know we have to kill the woman caught in adultery and you know that classic moment where he he does, doesn't off, doesn't answer them and instead draws on the ground uh, i mean it's mm. a it's a powerful pause that's what he's doing i don't have to answer you can ask me i don't have to answer i can wait i can be sure i'm getting the right answer why did he go out onto the boat uh, you know, away from people sometimes. Uh, that, that sometimes we might think of that as being not very Christian, you know, to what, to get away from people for a while and to, you know, that doesn't seem, because we sometimes use the word Christian as meaning just anything good. A Christian man, a Christian woman would just do anything good. It's like, well, actually, Jesus didn't just do anything good. He's He's taking a lot of time to make sure, you know, Get revelation. What am I actually asked to do? What is my unique mission? Because I, I, I just, I can't just do what other people want. I can't just do whatever ideas just pop into mind. I need to choose the right things. And so he's, he's creating not just momentary pause, but sometimes forty days and forty nights of it to make sure that he's fully aligned with his father. Even after a moment of pause, one of the thing that's one of the things that sometimes keeps me saying yes is the fear of disappointing people. Could you yeah. could you address for maybe for me, but for others that are that are feeling that like how what how do you respond to that that particular fear? Well, I mean, I struggle with it uh, myself, and so I'm very sympathetic to to the struggle. Um, and and I mean, I think that. I think the key point here is maybe to to clarify that I didn't write a book about saying no to everyone and everything without really thinking about it, right? That'd be a different book. That would be a book called Noism. Yeah. Right. And this is essentialism. And so that's the key distinction is what's the biggest yes? Mm. What what is the yes I'm supposed to do? I've got to get my errand from the Lord and then unapologetically, smilingly do that thing. You know, I Nephi needs to build the ship. He maybe he has no idea how to do that. Why would he? Why would any of us know how to do that? We, we're just starting off. He doesn't know how to do it, but he had to make all sorts of trade-offs in order to do it. That was the big yes. So he had to say no to all sorts of other things in order to do it. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think that, I think that the key to, to worrying about disappointing people is, is knowing your, the, the biggest, clearest. Yes. So, you know, you, so you don't get into this false notion of I can do it all. Hmm. In fact, sometimes I've summarized it this way, just recently, the language for it's quite, it's bombastic language, but you know, like we need to stop lying that we can do it all. Cause, cause, Culturally, the idea of, oh, yes, yes, I can do yes to everything um, sounds good and kind and, you know, Christian. We could do it all. But actually, we're violating one of the Ten Commandments in, in saying yes to everything and everyone and all the time. It's like, no, you can't do it all. You have to make trade-offs. If you can do it all, what's the point? What's the point in agency? What's the point in coming here? What's the point in the great test of life? If you can just do it all, then there's no test. There is no test. You can just do everything. The whole point is that you must weigh up. 
this option versus all of these options. You must weigh them up and try to find a path of the right sacrifice, the right thing to do. And, and that's, that's the, that is the test of life, the challenge of life. Uh, to figure out in these circumstances what's important right now, in these circumstances what's essential, and what is just good or can be, you know, needs to be put aside so that I can actually do the thing that matters most. That, that's the test. Yeah, love that. So you start. Oh, do you have another? Go ahead, Tim. No, no, no. Please, I, I, I was, I was gonna, I was going to move on um, to, okay. to effortless. Is that? Yeah, me going? too. I was just gonna say. So you, so you begin effortless with this you're kind of in this state, essentialism has been a huge success and you're living these essential habits and finding that your schedule is still just like overflowing. And so effortless is sort of this, it's, it's the next step. It's like, okay, now you're not lazy. Like you're, you're, you've, you've whittled down all of the essential things and you still, you know, are, are pushing the boundaries of your workday. And so, so effortless is, is how to do all of these essential things in a way that's easier. And I, I really love this book because it's Mm. exciting. Like it feels so motivating and, and like, there's something you can, you can start doing right now that like just immediately makes your life feel like you can breathe a little bit. So would you talk just more about that time in your life and how, how effortless, how you realized there was still this need to, there was more to write? Yeah. I mean, I was being more selective than I'd ever been. Um, That doesn't mean I couldn't have been more selective, but I was being very, I was saying no to significant opportunities. I was saying no to writing a new book. I was saying no to the class that I co-designed at Stanford. I was saying no to uh, workshop business. I I mean, these were big things I'm not doing. And still there was more than I could do. My responsibilities had grown. I've got four children by this point. I'm traveling, uh, you know, I'm traveling to events where there's, you know, where everybody you're meeting wants to talk about what I already want to talk about. <laughs> so it's a it's quite an important change because everything looks like the stuff you would definitely want to say yes to. Mm. And so I'm already st- still being more and more selective, still turning down way more opportunities than I expected I would ever have to. And But I can feel the, the, the theory breaking, all right? And the theory is the Big Rocks theory. Well, it's still true, the Big Rocks theory, but this, uh, there's a weakness to it. So the Big Rocks theory we've seen before. I'm sure we've all seen it before where the idea is if you put if you put the sand in a container, then the small rocks, then the big rocks, they don't fit. But if you put the big rocks in first, then the sand, you know, then it all fits. It's a geometric thing and it works. But I found myself saying, well, yeah, but what if you just have too many big rocks? You know, what do you do? How do you solve that when when you've got the container, you've got these rocks and they're all important. What do you put down? Do you put health down? Well, that's, 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 uh, you know, it's essential, but I just can't do it. Well, a lot of people do that, right? They do put the health down. And so they say, well, maybe, maybe I just, you know, I've got so many responsibilities. I got to put my marriage down. And a lot of people do put their marriage down, so to speak, you know, like the big important things just put, get put down. Or even maybe somebody says, well, church is just too much overwhelming. I'll just put church down. And they take the whole essential thing and they put it aside and in the midst of already feeling that, then I had a family emergency where one of my daughters suddenly became extremely, extremely sick uh, with, a, with, with a, at that time an undiagnosed condition. We assumed neurological, uh, but neurologists left, right, and center just could, couldn't tell us anything about what was going on. Um, and so that just took the whole thing to a whole nother level. And you say, okay, well, well, what do you do? What, what, what is the answer in that situation? You have the essentials, 
you now have another essential on top of this that's even more vital. And as we prayed and tried to work out what to do, one of the things that became clear, um, well, practically what became clear was to was to read a talk by Gordon B. Hinckley from, it's called um, Cultivating an Attitude of Happiness and Optimism. I think that's mm. the title. And I felt prompted to, to read or listen to that every day, oh, well. which is a lot, right? Like, you know, you, <laughs> you've read it once, you think you two, three, four times, but it was like every day, every day, every day. And so I, I did it almost every day for maybe the next four months as we were going through this extremity with our daughter. Uh, and I felt um, like a rewiring in my brain or my soul or something. And what was happening in that rewiring was the discovery of a, of a second path. You know, that there are two paths in life, that there are two paths of execution. There are two ways to try and do things. And he was trying to articulate, or at least somehow through the portal of those words, there was this, this, this uh, uh, discovery of a different path. And, and the scriptures are full of this language. Um, but, you know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That, that's interesting language at the end, is that, that there is a different path and I will guide you on it. And so that, that was one of these great discoveries as I was listening to that. There's two paths. One path is so heavy um, and maybe so full of anxiety and so alone that you're going to burn out before you get to the end of the road. That's a problem. It's a very serious problem. It, it, there will be people listening to this who know just what I'm talking about, that they are burned out already or about to be, um, and they're exhausted, teetering right on the edge of exhaustion, and they think that's the only path, and there's another path. And, and so, it's, so it's quite an – I mean, I, to me, it's as important it's imp, as, as important as our mission in life is. Because, in fact, there's an tr- amazing letter that was sent to, um, I think it was George Albert Smith, who was, I'm pr- pretty sure I'm getting this, this right, that he was um, pretty well known to suffer from depression and, and massive depressive episodes. And he had an uncle who was a doctor who wrote, a letter to him in the midst of one of these episodes. And, and you can see the whole letter, the whole letter, letter is in, in the historical record. And, and in it, he says, I know that you've committed your whole life to the church. Wouldn't the church be better paid if you could give yourself over the course of a whole lifetime rather than burned out, these are my words now, burned up and burned out and used up and finished all in one burst. And, and that to me is, is, is a great illustration that there's a lot of people who are on the first path who are trying, one way to think of it is trying to be Christians, but without Christ. Mm, yeah. Trying to do it through their own scrupulosity. I will save myself. I will do all of these things. I will make it happen. 
if it's and if it's not working, if they feel and if they start to feel anxious and they can't see the results they want to see, they think the answer is to do even more. It's more self-sacrifice. I will do this. It's not right. The only righteous path is is this sort of um, this, this very slave-like type experience. And and I think that um, a lot of very good and very studious and, and, and good members of the church struggle because they think that's the only path. And when it's not working, they just think, well, I'm not doing enough of it and I'll push even harder. And there is an alternative path. Uh, there, there, it's true that in scripture, there are examples where ease is seen as, is uh, you know, can be a negative thing, but there's, there's not that many references actually to the use of ease in scripture, but most of them are positive. Um isn't easy uh and, and right there in this you know sermon on the mount you know the lord himself says it right my yoke um is easy my burden mm. is light well is it <laughs> i mean that's dramatic stuff if you listen if, if you what do you do we do we believe that is that true is that what the experience is I mean, like how many people are like Michelangelo still doing it the first way is hard and it's burdensome and it's stressful and it's awful. And they want to run away from it. It's just too much. And there's this other path, this other way of being where the Lord not only clears the path before us. So he actually eliminates things sometimes for us. Says, don't even bother with that. That's not even important enough. But otherwise sometimes he says, okay, I'll make you stronger. So it feels easier, but either way it's this path. And that's really what we discovered in the what turned out to be a two-year journey with our daughter who, who was so sick was that there really was this second path. And and if I had to summarize the experience, although sometimes it was full of, you know, there was plenty of pain along the way, I would say that, and I don't use the word lightly, it, it was joy. It was There was joy and there really was joy in that experience. Uh, and that's what, what I think was opened up to me in this um in this repetition of of, uh, of president hinckley's chapter wow yeah. i love that i i feel like i mean kind of like you're implying at least culturally we do have we do have some language that implies to me that, that life should be hard you know that that this is a test and we need to endure to the end and we need to put, put our shoulders to the wheel and all that stuff but i i love that you bring up the words of jesus which i think sort of trump everything you know that if we take on his his yoke then it then it should be easy um, I, so that feels, I, I mean, just, that feels like, you know, permission for me to let, to, to let things flow in my life a little bit more and not always just be pushing so hard. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 ang- it's personal anxiety versus trusting mm-hmm. might oh, be one way to frame it. Love it, that. It's, it's what does the Lord want me to do? I mean, even, even you asked, asked the question about calling earlier on and, and specifically about accepting or not accepting them, but, but let's just say doing them, how are we going about it? Are we doing it through being overly anxious? Now, of course, if you're doing nothing, we'll do something. Okay, fine. <laughs> but of course, we're supposed to do something. But but we're not supposed to. Um, you know, there's there's multiple references about this in general conference about that the magnifying your calling means simplifying. Mm. Yeah, Reverend um, Monson said. To, <laughs> To magnify your calling means to do it. I remember that. Yes, <laughs> love that. Right, like so, 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 so. It's like different. It's the problem is sometimes you you're communicating a, a certain message to a, 
a large audience of people. And the problem is people hear messages differently. So it's, it's an inherent problem. It's very hard to overcome the problem, actually. Because if you say to a group of people, listen, we just need you to get on and do more in your callings, right? Who's listening? <laughs> the problem is the risk is that the only people listening are the people already doing it. Mm. So they go, oh, my goodness, I must not be doing enough. I've got to do more. Like somebody I was working with at BYU, a manager at BYU, who um, was teaching these ideas to at an event. And we talked, we talked afterwards. She said, She's the kind of person who was up till 4 a.m. in the morning photoshopping for a young men's and women's activity the next day, right? So she's the kind of person who uh, she feels guilty if she even eats lunch. Not, not if she takes time for lunch, but even if she eats it. That's too, you know, because if self-sacrifice is good, then total self-sacrifice must be better, mm -hmm. right? Like it's the first path talking. I said, well, listen, going forward, why don't you just at least try an experiment to invert this situation and just ask, how could this be effortless? Just at least ask it. Could there be some inspiration that might come if you ask a different question? She gets a call from a, a, another, from a professor asking her to record his class for the semester. And she jumps into that first kind of perfectionist, overachiever, you know, scrupulosity type path. She says, oh, I'm going to wow him. We're going to have multiple cameras, have a whole crew in there. We'll edit it all together. We'll have intros and outros. We'll have music. We'll make it really special. She remembers this like new question comes back to her mind. Okay. Let's just actually figure out what really is required. What if we focus a little more? Who is this for? Oh, it's for one student. How much does he need? Well, he'll be just missing a few classes because of an athletic commitment. Well, you know, could we have somebody maybe use an iPhone to just record it Whenever he misses and send it to him, oh yeah, the professor's delighted, so happy with that solution. He'd been overcomplicating it too. So he's like, "Yeah, great, it's problem solved. We'll do that." She gets off the phone. It's taken ten minutes of conversation, saving four months of time for her and an entire team. And that, to me, is at least one really important answer to the question of what do you do if you've got too many big rocks. Mm. It's like, what if some of those rocks? What if, what if actually they're like covered in moss? What if they're covered with complexity? They don't need to be there. President Nelson said in the last, in the last general conference, I just re-listened to it. He's, he talked about being outside the Salt Lake Temple that his office overlooks all that transformation that's going on there. And he's watched as they've pulled out these old tree roots and, and piping and all of it. And he uses it. And he expressly says it's like a metaphor for us. What are these, what are all this stuff we need to remove that we can pull out of our lives so we don't have a place for them anymore. We don't need to be burdened by them anymore. And over complexity is one of those sort of deep roots we can pull away from. You know, yeah. the, the Lord, the Lord wants to simplify our path. Uh, and and uh, if we if we trust Him, then He will. He'll lead us in this alternative path. This, and I think it is an easier path. At least it's not as hard as we would make it on our own. One of the lines that I always hear in my head now is, is that we can't overestimate how unimportant almost everything is or something like that. Mm, yeah. And, and, and I think 
you know, I'm really guilty of that, like just making things so complicated. And, and even in the complication, I'm trying to simplify and simplify. And a lot of times the answer really is to just like wipe the whole thing, like take out steps completely. And, and I love the illustration where you, you show like pushing a boulder down the hill instead of up the hill and, and asking that first question, like, what if this were actually just so easy? Like, what if it were easy? Like I, you know, it might just be on a completely different page, just so simple. Maybe there's only one step instead of eight. And maybe this doesn't even need a meeting. And maybe maybe this yeah. is a text message. You yep. know, and and I think those boulders get get a lot, a lot smaller just with that one single question. Um, but one of the other oh go ahead. I just was thinking about a, a, I won't call it a fail. Well, it probably was a bit of a fail. I remember I remember really emphasizing at one time home teaching when I was when I was bishop and then I, I, moved to a new ward and it was called as eldest corn president back on home, you know, then it was still home teaching. And, and I just learned a lot about the approach. The, the first time it was sort of right from the beginning. Okay. We, let's just do hundred percent. We're going to get there. Let's make it happen. It was quite a top down, probably quite heavy focus. I thought I was just focusing, you know, like, well, I was focusing, but I don't think I took the effortless path to achieving the goal. I think I was doing the right mm-hmm. thing, but probably in the wrong way. And and when I suddenly had, of course, not exactly the same responsibility, but responsibility for still the same function, um, I, I'd learned I'd learned a little about that process. And so we just did it exactly opposite. Small and simple means a great things brought to pass. I mean, that's that's what mm. we believe. That's the principle. But do we do it? And and I, we just said we said, listen, let's not change anything. We're not going to announce any big thing. We're just going to say, hey, listen, let's just celebrate every win that we possibly can. Anytime anyone's doing anything, we're going to make a big fuss about it. We're going to just try and, you know, you know, follow up with a few people each month. And we just built momentum. And so within about eight or nine months, we were, we were, we were home teaching every single person. We were always, always 95% or above. It was, we just didn't miss anyone. And, and that doesn't mean we did everyone on the list. I mean, of the assigned people, but it was, it felt so effortless in comparison. And, and so I, I feel like that's another illustration of the point. It's like, the right thing can be done in the wrong way. Mm. Um, and, and so, and so the right way I think is as important as the thing really. I think that's, that's important. Uh, the, the Lord's trying to, I am the way, the way I do things matters, not just, not just what to do. Uh, and, 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 and that's true for our lives to discover that's a way to live less trained uh, as, as one of my uh, wife's uh, uh, most inspirational leaders put it to, to her once she just said, don't force anything. Ooh. I love that. Yeah. Now, Greg, as we, I know we're getting just about the end here, but if you, maybe as we sort of sign off, um, if you could speak maybe directly to the listeners that are hearing this and, and thinking about that one big, huge, stressful thing in their life that's not feeling effortless at all what are the what's the first step to take or the first the first couple of steps that they can do today to start to get on that more more effortless path yeah okay so i got caught in storm ida uh, whenever that was time of recording is like a week or two ago and i'm in the i'm in the airport you cannot fly out you can't drive out. The police have closed the, you know, no, no traffic to close the highways. There's flooding everywhere. There's flooding in the airport. I mean, literally it's a modern looking part of the airport, but there's just floods coming up, you know, through the ceiling. Wow. I mean, it's pretty, there were times it was 
plenty manic uh, and and not with any particularly crazy aspiration. I thought, well, maybe I can just get to the hotel that's right here, have a good night's sleep, and we'll deal with all of this later once the storm's passed. And you could see the hotel, so it's very, you know, vis- visibly enticing because it's just like right there. And try and take the air tram and every every station. They're like, no, you can't come off here because it's flooding down here. It's all been closed. And I go to the end of the line, and there I'm talking to somebody there where the they've got the rental cars and they can't rent a car, of course, in the storm. And he said, well, if you want to, you could walk there. I mean, it's a ten minute walk. It's one road and it's right here. I look outside; it's raining, of course. But other than that, it doesn't look crazy. It's not the weather doesn't look wild. And so it's logically like, well, you know, 10 minutes get a little wet and then you're going to be fine and you could be safe and good there. I take about 10 steps towards the road and I hear very clearly, do not do this. And I walked another three or four steps. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it's just 10 minutes, you know, and I feel it again, but even clearer, like, do not do this. And, um, and so I didn't like, like, so I don't know what would happen if I did it. I, you know, I can't give you that side of the story. I just re- went all the way back, back to the terminal, waited out for several hours. And then eventually the storm had passed and made it to the hotel. No problem. In that little story, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot in that idea. Um, and let me just build on it for just a moment. If you don't mind, uh, so- Socrates, was known for a long time as like the wisest man in the world. And he said, well, I don't know if I am, but if I am, it's because I've been listening all my life to a demon, a daemon is how we would say it now. And that daemon that's with me all the time never tells me what to do, but always tells me what not to do. And that's very profound to me that we're supposed to proceed in life. Of course, we're guided to know what to do as well. But that there are particular times when it like really matters. Like a lot of the time, maybe it doesn't matter. Just proceed. It's okay. But when we hear, do not do this, do not do this. <laughs> and, and it's building on it just one more level, same principle. There's a story that I didn't write in Effortless, but I sort of wish I had now. It was a story that I'd come across of a woman who was with her dying son at the end of his life. And she knew that it was that place, the in-between, let's say, where somebody is not fully here anymore, but they're not fully there yet. So they're in the in-between and she gets up in his bed to be next to him at the end. And uh, right at the end, he opens his eyes and he says, it's all so simple, mom. It's all so simple. Those are the last words. He dies and she's left with that, you know, that mantra, that thing. And so Drawing a thread between those three examples, back to your question, I think what to do is to look at how am I making this more complicated than it has to be? How am I making this harder than it needs to be? And then when we have an answer to that, we have something very profound. We know, we know what to remove. We know, you know literally how to, how to take something out that's getting in the way of being able to actually make progress. The task in life may be hard enough, but I think it's all the stuff around the task that makes it so much harder. Once you get to the task and you start doing the work with the Lord's help, you're like, okay, just move it small and simple, move forward, move forward. 
and he's in charge of the rest of it. When we get overcomplicated, we don't even get to the task. We overwhelm mm-hmm. ourselves before we've even begun it. So we procrastinate it endlessly. We feel like it must be hard because how else could we justify never getting to it? Think about it with family history or with missionary work or with raising a family or going, getting to the temple. Any of these things, it's just we add so much stuff before we ever get to it. And, um, and we're overwhelmed before we've even begun. So I think that's the answer is to a single question. How am I making this harder than it needs to be? Yeah. Let's stop doing that. Let's not do that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. It, it's just, it really is like I was saying, just so motivating. I, it's the kind of book, like I want to put down and like, go clean something like organize my <laughs> closet. And then, yeah. you know, like you just, it's so exciting to just be able to, to focus on what you care about because it, that is so, that gives you so much energy. And so you mm. feel like you want to do more and, so thank you so much. These really were both like actually life-changing books for us both. So we, we really appreciate all, all of your work. Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg. We really appreciate it. And thank you for spending this time with us. Well, Brenton, thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see you, Greg. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Greg McEwen. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read every review and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters. We really appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.